another massive, massive deflationary number in producer prices. But what does that mean as far as the economy is concerned? What does it mean about central bankers and their theories of inflation, especially their fixation on core consumer price rates? What does it mean? Should, should we really care about producer prices and ma massive deflation in producer prices? The answer is yes, yes, we need to care about what's going on in producer prices, especially with more and more data coming in, suggesting strongly indicating the global economy is in recession because recession plus deflation means deflationary recession, which Ben Bernanke once told us nothing good comes out of it. So what data do we get today? Let's start there. The data we got today from was from Europe, and it was the Europe, European Producer Price Index. The European Producer Price Index had put up a record monthly negative in the month of April. It was down a revised, it got even worse, down 3.3% month over month in April. So these are the figures for the month of May, and the Producer Price Index in the month of May fell another 1.9%. So on top of last month's record drop, we dropped almost another 2%. That's the fifth straight monthly decline in European producer prices, seven out of the last eight. It's down almost 13% since peaking in September. And in the year-over-year -year case, it's down 1.6%, the first negative in the year-over-year -year change in European producer prices during this cycle. But that's just oil prices, right? That's just energy. That's what everybody will say. What about the core producer price, right? Because as we know, central bankers are focused, lasered in on core rates as if none of the rest of the stuff actually matters. Well, the core PPI, that was down 0.5% month over month in May, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for the core rate, that was the largest monthly decline since, since January of 2009. That's right. That was, that was a bigger monthly decline this May than in any month during 2020. You have to go back to January 2009 to see something like this in a core producer price. On a year-over-year -year basis, the core PPI in Europe was 3.4%, which is the lowest since March of 2021. So we see the core PPI, which is negative now for the last four months, down slightly. Um, so if it was up 3.4% year-over-year, that's all front-loaded. The core, the core producer price rate in Europe has clearly rolled over and may have stumbled badly in May. So we have to wonder, maybe central bankers are focused on the wrong core rate. They think it's all about core consumer prices when history shows maybe we need to pay more attention to what's going on in producer prices. Not because of the supply chain or the pipeline theory, but because modern PPIs and consumer price measures are often very tightly correlated. And when they're not tightly correlated, it's producer prices that lead consumer prices, as we're going to see in just a moment. Let's talk about the last time we were in a supply shock, and I don't mean the 1940s or 50s, the last time we were in a supply shock and how producer prices and consumer prices behave and what producer prices tell us about consumer prices and what producer and consumer prices are going to tell us about the economic situation. But first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Eurodollar University, memberships available, exclusive content, a lot of exclusive content on the monetary system, what it means, especially when we're talking about inflation. 
What is inflation? Where does it come from? What is the global reserve currency? Maybe not what you think. How does it work? Definitely not how you were taught. All that information in, uh, in the memberships we have at the Eurodollar University website. We also do research subscriptions. I contribute a daily briefing on the, on the every day's major monetary and macro news. That's at marketsinsiderpro.com. And I also do a deep dive analysis where we go into the nitty gritty details of what's going on in the monetary system, in the macro economy, how those two things play off of each other and create the conditions that we're in as well as the conditions we're likely to experience going forward. All the information, memberships and research subscriptions at eurodollar.university. The last time we experienced a supply shock, it wasn't 1943 with World War II, though that was a supply shock. It wasn't 1946 and 47 and 48, that transitory two-year-long supply shock. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm not talking about 1950-51 with the Korean conflict and its effect. I'm talking about much more recently, within living memory, 2010 and 2011. Do we remember the 2010 and 2011? It's overshadowed, obviously, by the events of the last couple of years, but 2010 and 2011 sounds a lot like what we're going through now. It sounds a lot like, and it's in the, uh, the, the pattern in the, ad, in the evidence and the data and the statistics, a lot of it's the same. It sounds so familiar. Banking crisis, consumer prices going up, hawkish central banks, producer prices rolling over all the same things that we see today and all the same characteristics. Though we didn't have a pandemic and lockdowns, what we did have starting in late 2009 and early 2010 was that demand started to come back much more quickly than supply was able to furnish because the supply side was more impacted by the aftermath, the aftershocks of the monetary crisis, credit crunch continued on into the early quote-unquote recovery period. We never did get a recovery, but that early aftermath of the great quote-unquote recession, dem demand was coming back faster than supply. Neither were coming back fast at all, but there was an imbalance between supply and demand, which meant that prices had to go up, which many people attributed, of course, to quantitative easing and money printing, which by the time we got to 2011, those notions were thoroughly disabused as producer prices rolled over and eventually consumer prices would follow. Since I brought up the European producer price numbers, let's stick with Europe for a, particular, for a minute here. What you see with the European producer prices, and I'm going to use the core rates here because that's what central bankers want you to focus on, so that's what we'll focus on. We'll, we'll, you, we'll, we'll examine this topic on their own terms. What you see is, first of all, in the 2008-2009 period, core rates of producer prices, those rolled over and began to fall. I'm just using the year-over-year -year changes here. You can use any format you like. Core producer prices in Europe, those rolled over before they did in, in consumer prices. So producer prices led consumer prices, though they were much, much closer in, uh, in, the, in, in declining than they, had, than they would be in 20, uh, 2010 and 2011. What you see in the supply shock, the immediate aftermath of the Great Recession is producer prices in Europe, those peaked all the way back in March of 2011, whereas core consumer prices continued to stubbornly accelerate all the way into 2012. So like today, 
For over a year, there was a major divergence between what producer prices were suggesting and what core consumer prices were suggesting. Guess which one central bankers chose to focus on? Of course, they hiked rates in July 2011 based on not just core consumer prices, but their theories of inflation, which don't incorporate either market signals or what we're seeing in producer prices. Remember, this is core. This is not about oil. This is about core producer prices. So core producer prices were, were decelerating dramatically throughout 2011, while central bankers were dealing with a banking crisis they didn't really understand. And eventually what happened, even though core consumer prices remained sticky and stubborn, recession. The core consumer price numbers told us absolutely nothing about the state of the economy, nor its future, immediate future, because after July of 2012, when Mario Draghi made his promise, the recession, particularly in Europe, finally forced core consumer prices to go lower, which is consistent with the pattern that we see in consumer prices throughout history in all of these different locations. Core consumer prices don't tell us anything useful. In fact, they continue to be stubborn right up until the moment that the recession is at its worst. So if you're using a core consumer price number to, to forecast ahead what you think the economy is doing today and will do tomorrow, you're going to be sadly misled. Instead, look at the core producer prices or just producer prices in general. When you, when you step back from the core rates, you see that core uh, regular producer prices or overall producer price indices, as well as cons overall consumer price indices, they have a very good correlation where more often than not, you'll see leading indicator, leading, in leading conditions in producer prices that eventually very shortly become consumer prices. And just, just to show you that this isn't just in Europe, we can take the US PPI and the US PCE deflator, which of course is what the Federal Reserve looks at, and you see again a very close relationship. And over the last decade plus in the current benchmarks or the current construction of the PPI, you can go back further in the PPI, uh, the PPI for finished goods, which goes back much further. Again, you still see the same thing, that producer prices in particular, when producer prices overall get really weak and negative, we should expect that consumer prices become very low and even get down to zero or even less. So right now, U.S. producer prices are turning negative, and lo and behold, we see U.S. consumer prices following right along. Where they diverge is once again in core rates. The core PPI in the United States, that one has been decelerating over a year. The core, P core CPI or PCE deflator, as we know, that one has been stubborn and sticky. But we don't pay attention to stubborn and sticky core consumer price numbers. Only central bankers would make that kind of mistake. Producer prices are indeed telling us something important about the state of the economy today and what that's likely to mean for tomorrow. And what that means today, what the, the deflation in, in producer prices is telling us, recession. And we continue to get more and more recession confirmation all over the world. Let's start with what we got in the United States. We got U.S. factory orders. Factory orders which hard data confirmation of everything that we've been saying about 
the interpretations of soft data and sentiment numbers, like the ISMs we talked about on Monday. Remember the ISM was down to 46, a new cycle low there. S&P Global's PMI, not far from a cycle low, very close to one. The Fed, Fed Regional Manufacturing Surveys, which have been incredibly low, deeply in recession territory. And here we see the, the Census Bureau's factory order data, which tells us, which backs up what we're seeing in the PMIs. Factory orders excluding transportation industries, those were down half a percent month over month. In the month of May, that was following a six-tenths of a percent downward revised decline in the month of April. Factory orders ex transportation have been down six out of the last seven months, and they're down 4% since last October. So orders are shrinking, and as we're, as we're seeing from the Sentiment surveys like the ISM and S&P Global, backlogs are being worked through, no new orders coming in, backlogs diminishing, companies are starting to make more determined decisions about their labor force. Specifically, consumer goods, factory orders in the U.S. for consumer goods. Those were down 0.5% after a much larger 0.8% decline in April. And going back to last June, remember when yield curves and money curves really picked up an inversion? last June into July, going back to last June, factory orders to make consumer goods down 8.1%. That's an enormous recession-like decline that goes along with everything that we're seeing in producer and consumer prices. Demand has weakened, which has triggered the inventory cycle, the reverse bullwhip effect, and everything else. But it's not, it's not just manufacturing, though. It's not just factories. Going back to Europe, Europe, we see it weakness re-arising, coming back in the services economy too. Uh, S&P Global, which has now been rebranded as Hanover Commercial Bank or something, HCOB, the composite PMI for the month of June. The European compo composite, according to HCOB, is now 49.9. That's less than they initially thought a couple weeks ago at 50.3. That's below the 52.8 that they put it at for May. 49.9, that's below the 50 number. That's the composite. Manufacturing is obviously much weaker. But either way, it suggests that Europe, which was already in recession to begin this year, experienced a little bit of a temporary rebound coincident to China reopening, plus some rising sentiment having survived the worst case last year. But it doesn't appear as if Europe ever really left the recession, and or if it did, it is heading back into recession as the second quarter closes out, which would be consistent with the big drop in producer prices in Europe with the factory orders continuing to decline in the United States because this is a globally synchronized recession. And we've seen globally synchronized producer price deflation, which suggests eventually consumer prices are going to join it as well as deflationary recession. Both of those things coming together in the worst possible way. At the same time, Central bankers are saying, let's focus on core consumer prices. The one measure out of everything that we're talking about that absolutely has no relationship to the economy as it is today or what the economy is likely to be in the near-term future. And what the economy is likely to be in the near-term future, as I said, globally synchronized recession. So let's finish up with what we got from China. The secondary PMI numbers from Shaixin, the private 
the private surveys that look more at small and medium-sized businesses in China. The non-manufacturing, which we got a couple of days ago, that was down to 50 and a half from 50.9, heading in the wrong direction, though that's, that's much better than the official PMI of 49, but still, that's not a good number for manufacturers in China. The big one, though, the one we got last night, Shaixin's non-manufacturing, like the government's non-manufacturing PMI, this one fell sharply from 57.1 in May to just 53.9 in June. 52.5 was their composite number for June. That's down from 55.6. These are not good numbers for China, but they do correlate very strongly with everything that we're talking about here. Acceleration to the downside, whether in the economy in terms of recession or in deflation. And though we don't see the deflation in consumer prices and we don't see the deflation in core consumer prices, the deflation we do see along with the recession data that we've got they strongly indicate that we will see these things in consumer prices in the near-term future. Recessions and deflationary recessions are a process. It doesn't happen all at once, nor does it happen in straight-line linear fashion. This is bumpy, it's lumpy, and it's often discontinuous. Something happens, it goes lower, then for a while, it seems like everything's fine, then something else happens, and it pushes us even lower and lower and lower until you get to the point where you see core producer prices in Europe dropping at a rate we haven't seen since January 2009. It's not just random coincidence, and most people are surprised by this only because they're now told to focus on the one measure of the economy that has nothing to do with the economy as it is. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, all our Eurodollar University members. My sincere thank you. And until next time, take care.